This scripture starts out with, and I always tell you, when a scripture reading starts out this way, you've got to go back to figure out what it's connected to, because it starts out now about eight days after these sayings. Well, as soon as you you have that connector, you want to know what those sayings are. Well, if you go back just a little bit, it's Peter being at, Peter and the disciples being asked by Jesus, who do people say that I am? And, And what does Peter say? What does Peter say? You're the Messiah, you're the Christ, you're the anointed one. And, and Jesus immediately basically says, don't tell anybody. Uh, because he probably knows that what the disciples want to do is, you know, begin to start a, 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 you know, a political campaign to get him elected president or something. You know, they, they, they want to, because the Messiah was supposed to come and put back in place, um, you know, all, you know, basically the theocracy of Israel. And that was what they believed was to happen. And then Jesus goes on to say right before this, then he says, well, you know, yes, I'm the Messiah, but if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their, and very good. You guys are starting to wake up now. That's great. So, right. So, so, so this is a very, it's a very interesting message, isn't it? Because if, if you, if you were wanting to start, if you were wanting to start a political campaign or a theological campaign to be the leader of something, the first thing you probably don't say is one, don't tell anybody Two, um, if you're going to, if you're going to follow me, if I'm going to be your leader, you're going to have to deny yourself. It's going to require sacrifice and you're just going to need to, you're just going to need to follow me. Oh, and by the way, when the other, the next thing that he says is that, oh yeah, um, the chief priests and the scribes and all the people, um, they're going to kill me. And then three days later, I'm going to come back. I, I think that would probably get you right up there in the, in the polls. If you, were, if you were to do that. So, so maybe they be, think they're beginning to figure out who he is. But probably in some ways like us, they're still really confused about the mystery of who Jesus, this Messiah, is. And so they, as, as often Jesus did, we know, and I love that about, about um, what we know about Jesus is that he... He wasn't just he wasn't just out there, you know, slapping people on the forehead and and healing them and 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 curing diseases and all that all and meeting with people all the time. He wasn't just he wasn't just teaching and preaching and doing all this stuff just just going 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 going. He regularly would go somewhere, usually by himself or with with sort of this inner circle, Peter, James, and John, and and they would go off to pray. He would. Jesus would really take time to, to connect with God in, in, a, in a time of prayer. And I think that's a, one, if, if Jesus is an example for us, at least in some part of our faith, that this is very important, that, that for us, that as we live into our life of faith, that taking time aside from other things, maybe by ourselves or just with a few people to pray is very important. So he goes up on the mountain to pray. And, and again, anytime, anytime you hear this language up on the mountain, you've got to start thinking like a Hebrew because they knew the Old Testament scripture. And so then as they heard these stories about what Jesus did, they would think, oh, up on a mountain. Oh, Moses went up on a mountain. Other people went up on a mountain to receive messages from God. So oftentimes, as, a, as one of the professors at the seminary here says, the New Testament sings an Old Testament song. And so, you know, you really, it's helpful sometimes to have your ears attuned to that. And so while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. 
Oh, whose appearance, who's, who's appearance of whose face changed in the, in the Old Testament? You just, you heard it. Moses, right? So much so that he had to wear a veil because the people were afraid that he had, like, that he'd gotten too much God, you know, because they, they believed that if you looked upon the face of God, you would die. And so, so he has to wear a veil because they're afraid of him. They're, they were afraid of, of that. So again, this New Testament is singing the Old Testament song a little bit here. And so the appearance of his face changed. His clothes became dazzling white. And, and again, like I said to the kids, this is, this is a lot of times in this kind of, uh, of story, like when the angels appear and they're bright shining white, it is, it, it is God's glory that is being shown. And so again, they probably would folks would know that. They would, as they heard, as they heard this read, um, as they heard the story, they, they, would, they would understand that, that this is, it's lots of symbols and signals being given about who Jesus is. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah. And so Moses represents what in the Bible? The law. And Elijah represents what? You can't answer, Jason. What does he represent? The prophets, thank you. So we have the law and the prophets, which are the two, the two major pieces of, of Old Testament or Hebrew scripture, the law and the prophet. Moses, of course, is traditionally thought of as the one who wrote the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. That's sort of the tradition. And he represents the law. And then Elijah represents the prophets. And Elijah was also, he was also supposed to return before the coming of the Messiah. And so... And so there's lots of, again, lots of symbolism going on, on here that Jesus is part of this great salvation story of God, which begins with Moses, follows on with Elijah, and now comes in Jesus. So this is, I mean, so it's, so it's bringing it all together. And so what's awesome about that is, is that without the Hebrew scriptures, without the stories, without the, the prophets and the law, we wouldn't have a clue about who Jesus is really. If all these things just happened and, and we didn't have that, that context and what people were saying about the one who was to come and all that, we, we'd have a much diff, more difficult time figuring out, well, who is this, who is this Jesus? So they, appear, they also appeared in glory, it says. So we don't know if they were also sort of, you know, shiny or if they were bright, shining, whatever was happening there. And they were speaking, what's so interesting here to me is they appeared in glory and they were speaking of his departure. But the word, the word that gets, that really gets used here, they were speaking of his exodus, of his exodus, Huh? The New Testament is singing an Old Testament song because the Exodus is, is the primary story for the Hebrew people. That is the definitive story. In slavery for 400 years, Moses, with God's leading, leads them out of slavery into the promised land. That is their Exodus. It was not easy. It was difficult. They, they, they did some things not so great, so they spent 40 years uh, wandering around in the wilderness um, so they could get it right, and then um, God and Moses led them into the, into the promised land. And so they were speaking of his Exodus, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. So this is in Luke's gospel, this is getting closer and closer to Jesus going to Jerusalem and, and, and the week of his passion or the, you know, before he is crucified. So it says, now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. I love it when they throw in these little details. 
uh, when, when, when the, the gospel writers do because you're so like, what is this? But it's interesting how common a theme this is because it's often that, that the disciples are wanting to sleep when important things are going on. Yeah, you'll get this later when they're at the Garden of the Gethsemane and, and Jesus actually sort of upbraids them about the fact that they're tired and they're sleeping. Couldn't you, couldn't you stay awake an hour? You know, couldn't, you just, couldn't you hang with me, basically? But Peter and his companions were way down with sleep. But since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with them. And so... And so now, and like I was talking with the kids, like sometimes things happen to us, sometimes amazing things happen to us, sometimes, sometimes really difficult things happen to us, and we don't know what to make of it. And so we, so we try to make some meaning immediately. Our brains are always trying to make meaning of things. Just, just imagine, I, I've talked about this many times before, we're always judging good, bad don't care, you know, all those kinds of things. We're doing that all the time. And so I think here, just as Peter says to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Oh, this is a good thing. Okay, so let's mark it. Let's make three dwellings. Let's, let's, let's make one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Let's, let's capture this somehow, which is a natural thing that we, that we might want to do, is to, is to capture the moment and so we can remember it in some certain way. I mean, how, how many of you have gone to the beach and have come back uh, with seashells. Yeah. It's the way that we remember. Right? You see those seashells and you go, oh yeah, I remember, remember when we were on the beach or you know, whatever. And, and, and hopefully, if, if you have kids, sometimes you end up with more seashells than what you realized you were bringing home. And then your suitcase smells like seashells for a while later. But that's another story. But, you know, we, we, we like to make meaning. We like to hold on to things uh, a little bit. And, and oftentimes, I'll preach on this particular part of it, but I'm not going to spend much time with that um, today, but I think it's a natural inclination. He's trying to make meaning. He's trying to grab onto it in some way, um, grab onto this mystery of what's happening. But while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Again, just remember, in New Testament things and Old Testament song, oftentimes when the cloud overshadows things, that is the presence of God. And, and, and for the Hebrew people, you know, to be in the presence of God was generally to be afraid because God is all powerful. God, they believe that if you saw the face of God, that you would just, you would die. And so, you know, it's a, it's, it's a, it is a real fear, but it's also a fear of, of like honoring God and wanting to be in a position of worship to God. But the cloud comes over, they were terrified. And then a voice from the cloud comes and says, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. Uh, and some people make a lot of hay about this listen to him thing, about, about, you know, God is trying to like get it through the disciples' head, like, hey, this is an important person, would you please just listen to him? And if you think about what Jesus has been saying, I'm going to die if you're going to follow me. You've got to deny yourself. These things, then, if we relate them back to what happened before and what happens after, that those words mean a lot in terms of listen to him. But also, but also, as we come to the end of what we've been calling Epiphany Plus, and does anybody remember what Epiphany began with? Way back in January, you probably didn't even realize it, that was that was 2019, people. When we started 2019, it's now March almost. Yes, it is March. What, 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 what's the epiphany? What do we call the epiphany? 
What? The wise men, right. When the wise men come to, to see Jesus, that, that, that is epiphany. And then we follow that with, in, in the church here, we follow that with the baptism of Jesus, which was our first Sunday in the sanctuary here, if you remember. We, we baptized twins and we talked about the baptism of Jesus. And at that event in the scripture, a voice comes and says about Jesus, this is my beloved And so these things connect this all together, that Jesus is God's beloved son, Jesus is God's chosen one, and so all of this comes together to help us begin to understand who Jesus is, because as we begin to understand who Jesus is, we begin to understand who we are. I want to let that sink in for a minute. When we begin to understand who Jesus is, we begin to understand who we are. Because Jesus, when he walked the way of the cross, through his death and his resurrection, he made us brothers and sisters with him. We are also God's children. We are also the beloved of God. God knows us deeply, and it's not because we did the right things. It's not because we said the right words. It's not because we showed up to church on a Sunday morning when it was cold outside. It's not because, you know, of the way we part our hair. It is because God chose us and set us apart to follow Christ so that all the world might come to know him. This chosenness, this belovedness does not make us over and above all of God's creation. It puts us in a position of serving God's creation, of actually being humbled because we understand who God is and we understand who we are. And so now we can focus on the things of God and those things are not easy Again, what did Jesus say? If you want to be my followers, you need to deny yourselves, take up your cross, and follow me. It is not an easy path. How how do we get, how do we we live out this belovedness, this chosenness? We follow the way of the cross. We give of ourselves. We find ways to sacrifice ourselves in order to move forward the mission of God. And it's not easy. And it's confusing sometimes. I mean, just like, I love this at the end, when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. I love this, it's like he was lost and now he was found. But Jesus was found alone and, and, they, and they kept silent and in those days told no one any of the things that they had seen. So they come down off the mountain. They've had this crazy wild experience with Jesus. Heard a voice telling them about him and they tell no one. Well, I don't know about you. I reflected on this and I was thinking about some of the times in my life when when I've been part of things that maybe weren't like a transfiguration, but they were more like someone caring for another person that they didn't have to care for. It was more like 
seeing someone who had been addicted to drugs begin to turn their life around and to to have their children return to them and to, to find work and to do things because of the caring of people around them. I've seen things like when, when people have gone to visit other people in the hospital, not because it was their job in the church, but just because they, they, they just thought it would be a good idea to go and pray with that person. I've been in those places and I've walked away and said nothing. But we are called to talk about these things. We are called to tell the story to tell the story of God in our lives, to tell the story of God in other people's lives, that all people might come to know their chosenness, their belovedness, their blessedness, that they might have their dignity restored to them so that they might begin to live the life of following Jesus that they have been called to, that they might come to understand that God knows them and God loves them, and that they are God's beloved. And so transfiguration or this experience with God is not a me and God moment. It's not a me and God moment. Just like worship is not just between me and God when we're in this corporate worship space. It is, it is love your neighbor, love yourself, love God, not particularly in that order, Transfiguration is not a me and God moment. It's not meant to be kept to ourselves. It's a revelation. It's an epiphany meant to be shared. And that means something different for each one of us, how we share that, whether it's through our work or our volunteering or our giving, whether it's through all three of those, whether it's through our prayer and our discipline and our Bible study and and all those things where we would connect with God on a regular basis. And how do we do this? We follow Christ where he leads. We listen for Jesus in all that we say and all that we do. And we know that at times we're not going to understand. We're going to want to build buildings or mark things or try to make meaning of it. And we're not going to get it right. But God still calls us beloved and sets us free to love him and to love our neighbor and to love ourselves so that all the world might know that they are also beloved. So may you know the love of God. May all those transfiguration moments in your life that have already happened come to you in a new and a fresh way that you might hear them and sense them and feel them again. May you find ways to talk about them with other people that they might begin to hear of the glory of God that is happening all around us. May we walk in the way of the cross no matter how hard it is to fulfill God's purposes, to do God's mission, and to become God's people. Amen.